All right, y'all. How's it going, man? Welcome to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Jesus, is it already time for the show already? Boy, I better write up a blog entry and stuff. Hmm. Today's show, Dan Simpson. Now, I gotta admit to you guys, I don't know, um, much about Dan Simpson other than he's a former ambassador to somewhere. And he wrote a great piece about Afghanistan. So for all I know, he helped with the coup d'etat against God knows who. I don't know. But all I know is, man, he wrote a thing about Afghanistan that I thought was really good. And something that everybody needs to hear. So I will get at my point zero 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 one percent of the population that listens to this show. And maybe you guys can inform everybody else from here. Maybe. Um, Alright, so I hit publish on that, and then I hit uh, paste here. Post over on liberty.me. Liberty.me, where usually I do a couple of shows over there. Only sometimes they get canceled. But uh, Thursday nights I do uh, Jacob Hornberger's show. Uh, I host it. He's the interviewee. That's supposed to be how it works anyway. The Future of Freedom, every Thursday night, and then every other Tuesday, switching off with um, Sheldon and Lucy, um, who also do every other Tuesday, but the other Tuesdays. Uh, It's me and Jeff Tucker. We host a show called Eye on the Empire on Liberty.me. It's like Facebook, only just for libertarians, or, you know, the libertarian curious. And it's five bucks a month, but there's no ads, and everybody on there is not a schmuck. So it's quite unlike actual Facebook. It's really good. I like it. Liberty.me, and uh, yeah, two shows a week I do on there. And you know, I really do a bad job of plugging my stuff. Uh, I do KPFK on Sunday mornings, except during FunDrive, but FunDrive is over, so I'll be back this Sunday morning on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA for anti-war radio. Not sure exactly... You know what, maybe uh, depending on how this interview goes, maybe I'll keep him through the middle break there and try to make a good half hour out of this Dan Simpson interview. Either that or I've had a couple of good ones this week. Anyway, uh, that's uh, the KPFK show, 90.7 FM in L.A. on Sunday mornings at 8.30 L.A. time. And then uh, for the past few months anyway, I've been doing every Friday morning on Ernie Hancock's show right before this one cover some foreign policy stuff, so I like hanging out with Ernie, man. He's a cool guy, as you guys know. So if you ever want a double dose of me on Fridays, tune in early there and check me out on Ernie's show. All right. Uh, You know, I had a couple more invites out, but, you know, it's Friday and they were pretty short notice. And It's a tragedy, really, that uh, Sarah Lazare cannot do the show because she is traveling right now. God dang it. Because I really want to talk with her about this article, man. We're going to do this next week. I says, how about Monday? She says, no, I'll be traveling then. Well, I guess I'm going to wait till Monday to ask her for Tuesday. But actually, maybe not, because I also sent uh, an email to one of her sources that she talked to uh, for this article, who I think is probably not as expert as her in 
everything that she covers in it, but who would have something to say about it. So it's possible we'll have an ACLU guy on. And in fact, the ACLU guy that I emailed is Mike German, the former FBI agent. And so he may have a bit more to say about this than the average ACLU lawyer. Uh, did you see this? Did you hear about this? Uh, the FBI has a new plan to spy on high school students across the country. This is really something, man. You've got to read this thing. You'll think that it couldn't possibly be true, but it's true. We're going to have Sarah Lazare on the show. I mean, it's really something else, man. Sarah Lazare, this one is uh, Alternet, alternet.org. So uh, I'm going to have her and or her sources and or whoever to cover this thing. That's really something else, man. And then I also emailed the guy that wrote the article I told you all about yesterday about the search engine results and how nobody knows how Google chooses which results get what rankings. But, oh, boy, oh, boy, does it matter and way more than you thought. The margins they can move with search engine rankings are incredible. The New Mind Control is the name of the study, really, or this article really describing the results of numerous experiments with this. And it's really something else. Uh, Robert Epstein is the author, The New Mind Control at Aon.co. See, if, yeah, you know, I don't know. He's at Harvard or something, I think. Oh, no. Well... Anyway, it's going to be hard to get a hold of. Probably won't happen today, but I'll try to get that done. Um, yeah, anyway. Let's talk about the bad news. Oh, I guess these can wait for the interview. I can skip those. That's nice. Uh, how about straight to Syrian rebels furious as ceasefire continues to hold? Hey, I'm sorry, everybody. I got it wrong. I just I didn't think there would even be a ceasefire. I thought the Russians were just going to continue hitting al-Nusra and Islamic State nonstop, and that Arar al-Sham be caught up in that, for that side of it. And then that as the terrorists continue fighting against the regime, uh, then it'll be on, still. And I can't believe it, and I'm so happy about it. I just, uh, it just seems impossible. After five years of civil war, Syria is experiencing a temporary return to normalcy. With a ceasefire now on its fifth day and still holding steady, there's a lot of negativity about the chances of making a peace deal, but everyone is enjoying the dramatic reduction in violence the ceasefire has provided. Everyone except the rebels, that is. Having resisted international efforts to broker a settlement of the war, many rebel factions were dragged kicking and screaming by the international community into this truce, insisting all the while it wouldn't work. And by rebels, I guess he means Arar al-Sham and whatever junior partner, small groups you never heard of. The rebels who were blasting the U.S. for betraying them by supporting a doomed ceasefire last week are now blasting the U.S. for betraying them by supporting a ceasefire which is working and is heading towards some settlement short of installing them as the new government. Rebels now say they're convinced the U.S., Russia, and the Assad regime are all plotting against them, and after previously making their participation in peace talks conditional on a ceasefire, they're hunting for new excuses to keep the war going. So that is um, Jason Ditz at news.antiwar.com.
Syrian rebels furious as ceasefire continues to hold. And um, he's linking here to the World Post. Sophia Jones. I don't know who that is. Syria's violence has plummeted during the ceasefire, but some Syrians fear worse is yet to come. Or the, sub the subtitle is more honest. Syrians worry, uh, some of them, worry the ceasefire brokered by the U.S. and Russia may not be in their best interest. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Syrians. You would think that means the civilian population, right? But, yeah, the Mujahideen warriors that we talked to wanted the CIA to keep helping them. So... Yeah. Is that right? Okay. Well. Um, and then there is this um there's this article in Reuters uh that says uh Syrian truth truce offers glimpses of normality. And so there's humanitarian aid being delivered and a little bit less killing. They started off saying kids are going outside to play. Don't everybody get carried away, all right? But, uh, yeah. Wouldn't that be something if the Syrian war was over, except for, you know, uh, what's left of killing the Islamic State in the Al-Nusra front? That can't take too long if everybody else quits fighting, right? Hey, Al Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop. Which is, by the way, what he's doing right now. Selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com Hey, I'm Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security. The Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. All right, y'all. Welcome back to the things. Coming up, Dan Simpson on the war. Oh, which one? I'm sorry. Afghanistan this time. Um, yeah, man, so I guess a little bit of politics here. Um, there was not too much foreign policy in the, uh, in the debate last night other than Trump said, oh, Afghanistan, we absolutely have to stay forever because Pakistan is next door and they have nukes. And so... Whatever, I don't know. If if we don't, then I guess some domino theory happens and then the Taliban take over Pakistan and the nukes. Is that it? He didn't really explain, but somebody told him to say that or something stupid. So there was that. And then Kasich said, we got to invade Libya and we have to occupy it forever. Just like Hillary Clinton said. Which... Nobody booed, nobody clapped, nobody anything. Everybody's just, yeah, whatever. Libya, where's that? What's that? I don't care. Yeah. Next question. Uh, 
Um, and then on torture and murder, the question was, and of course it was go after Trump night up there where Fox brought all the graphics and videos, and all kinds of extra stuff to try to get the job done as best they could. I doubt it helped their position very much. Probably only helped solidify his, um, but one of the things that they went after him for is they got quotes from generals and, I don't know, spies, but at least generals saying that, oh, and I think, well, I don't know if they cite him, but I think some CIA guys said this in the media too. Oh, it was Michael Hayden, who was former chief of the NSA and also was the head of the CIA, um, who had said that the CIA won't carry out orders to waterboard and, and this kind of thing anymore. Anyway, so they asked him about some of these guys are saying they won't follow your orders to commit these war crimes that you want to commit, which this is a Republican debate on Fox, and they're attacking him for being pro-torture. Huh? Really? And nobody noticed that. Huh, what a weird turn of events this is. Usually we would just attack someone for being anti-torture, right? What's our problem? I don't know. But anyway, they says, so you're too pro-torture, and the they don't want to follow your orders. And he says, they'll follow my orders all right. They'll do as they're told or something. That was the best that he had was, oh, yeah, they'll follow all right, something along those lines. And then they they asked him not just about torture but uh, followed up. Uh, Chris Wallace, I believe it was, followed up about, yeah, man, you know, you said you would target the family members of terrorists. So then he goes for the a kind of botched retelling of uh, the Saudis who were spirited out of the country by the Bush administration after September 11th and says it was the wives of the hijackers when, no, when the wives of the hijackers, but anyway, and then he wouldn't say the word Saudi, like, oh, it's a big secret. I guess maybe that's a good technique to try to get people talking about what he meant by that. Yeah, they flew him out of the country to, well, yeah, it wasn't Iraq, I can tell you that, he said. So, um... But anyway, his point being that, no, all those Saudis that Bush spirited out of the country, they should have been tortured and maybe murdered. And then that would be a lesson to people that you don't mess with us or we'll kill your wife. Huh? And he says, hey, I'm sorry. That's just the way I feel about it. Oh, yeah? Is this guy for real or what? That's crazy. And he's perfectly willing to flip-flop about Mexicans right in the same debate. They're like, hey, we hear that you told the New York Times that you're perfectly willing to flip-flop on the Mexicans. And he goes, yeah, of course I am. But he won't flip-flop on murdering innocent family members of people who commit crimes. Hey, you got to dissuade them somehow, huh? Shrug. They're barbarian head choppers. We're barbarian head choppers. Now, who's really the, the worst barbarians? And who started committing barbaric acts against the other first? Now, let's not really get into that. We're us and they're them, and that's all you need to know about that. Anyway, so then they decided, okay, let's talk more about Trump University and a bunch of crap. You know, the the National Review, the neoconservatives, and Mitt Romney, and these establishment Jeb Bush types, they could not help Trump better than to attack him the way they're attacking him. I mean, seriously, Mitt Romney? Mitt Romney. They brought him out. 
just makes Trump look good. This guy who openly brags that he plans on committing war crimes from the moment he takes office. Which makes him as bad as any of the rest of them, only usually they just don't proclaim it in that way. Marco Rubio certainly would be uh, a blood letter on a massive scale. Probably make Richard Pearl the Secretary of Defense. But anyway, I think it's really something in terms of lowering the bar, you know? This is the argument I had with Scott Adams when he was on the show talking about Donald Trump's magical persuasion skills that, yeah, you know, I see what you mean about, hey, it's important to stay on TV all the time no matter what. But at the cost, really, of providing a, a safe haven, uh, providing legitimacy to those who would have 11 or 12 million undocumented human beings in the United States rounded up and deported for those same people when the all the white supremacist groups are bragging that we've never had our numbers go up like this before. Thanks for making white supremacy a legitimate topic of conversation on the right again where it used to not be. Gotta stay on TV, right? And the same thing with the torture and all of that, too. It, you know, he's got a bunch of pro-torturers attacking him for going overboard, as John Schwartz puts on The Intercept today. But he's just lowering the bar, lower and lower and lower. They're barbarians, so we'll show them barbarism. That's now official policy. Not That's not an accusation by people who oppose it. That's what we're doing here, according to Next Dear Leader. Not in defense of anything enlightened or reasonable or liberal in the Mises sense or better about the West, but just because we're us and they're them and we can do what we want and they can't. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, so listen, I want to mention this again. I'm almost out of time. Uh, well, now nah, I'm almost out of time. No time to mention it. Uh, so I'll just mention this again. When I mentioned Kasich and Libya there, I, I should mention this all the time. I'm leaving this tab open indefinitely. Clinton defends ongoing anarchy in Libya. We are still in Korea. We're still in Germany. That's a real clear politics. This is Hillary Clinton's answer to the chaos that she created in Libya. Just like John Kasich, we should occupy North Africa forever. That's the Democrats' front runner right now. Hey, Al Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code SCOTT and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. Hey, Al Scott here. On average, how much do you think these interviews are worth to you? Of course, I've never charged for my archives in a dozen years of doing this, and I'm not about to start. But at patreon.com slash Show, you can name your own price to help support and make sure there's still new interviews to give away. So what do you think? Two bits? A buck and a half? There are usually about 80 interviews per month, I guess, so take that into account. 
You can also cap the amount you'd be willing to spend in case things get out of hand around here. That's patreon.com slash Scott Horton Show. And thanks, y'all. All right, you guys. Welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. And on the line, I've got Dan Simpson, a former U.S. ambassador and associate editor of the Post-Gazette. Wait, which Post-Gazette is that? Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at post-gazette.com. And uh, this essay is entitled Vietnam Redux. Welcome to the show. Dan, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you, Scott? I'm doing great. I really appreciate you joining us on the show today. And Thanks re- for asking. And I really appreciate this article, especially because it's kind of a cry in the wilderness here. Uh, you know, who's even <laughs> yeah. writing about Afghanistan at all these days? If our surge ain't working, nobody's interested. So, um, you know, why don't you go ahead and, and state your case? You start out here with a pretty compelling story about Vietnam. Well, my basic feeling is that uh, we should have been out of Afghanistan years ago, that, uh, you know, in the beginning I could have seen it, you know, we had to do something to them for 9-11. But then after we basically drove the Taliban out of power and al-Qaeda more or less out of the country, we should have withdrawn our troops and gone home. But we didn't. And, and here we are now, 15 years later, uh, still with combat troops in there, still hammering the Afghans, killing Afghans, and occasionally killing even Americans as well. Uh, that Warren Weinstein, you know, who was killed by a drone attack, and, I mean, he was a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, and so, you know, I just The hostage who was killed, you're saying? Yeah, uh-huh. the American, American hostage yeah. who was killed. Uh, you know, my feeling is that we're wasting our money and wasting our uh, troops and killing Afghans and occasionally Americans for no good reason. I have the same feeling, by the way, about Iraq. Uh, Libya, I don't think we should have overthrown uh, Gaddafi because we didn't know what was going to come afterward, and what has come afterward has been catastrophic. Uh, I don't think we should be signed on with the Saudis in fighting uh, the Shia in Yemen. Uh, And Syria, I mean, it's just turning into a greater and greater tragedy with uh, the humanitarian as well as political costs of uh, what's happening in Syria, but also what's happening in Europe as a result of the migrants. So I, I just see our foreign policy as, you know, stupid and uh, motivated by, I'm not quite sure what, uh, I could be kind and say fear, except that puts them, it puts the blame on the, the people who stir up the fear, but I'm afraid also a certain amount of it is uh, military industrial complex stuff, you know, with people making money out of out of the whole thing, out of the arms sales and providing the consultants and the uh, omniscient uh, analysts who who appear on, on television and radio, you know, bloviating on the subject. The whole thing just drives me nuts, I have to tell you. Yeah. All right. Well, so quite a few things so there. Basically to, yeah, sure. Now, there's a few things to go back over there. First of all, do you think that there's a real danger of a fall of Saigon type moment there since they've uh, 
withdrawing yeah. so many troops, but left enough to have their goose cooked. Yes, I do think so. I and I think uh, it's uh, less of a threat, but I think also a real threat in uh, Iraq. But in Afghanistan, if you look at it, I mean, the Taliban are gobbling up more and more territory. And uh, the Ashraf Ghani government is hanging on more and more by the skin of its teeth. And, of course, the whole thing is a narco state anyway, uh, depending on opium for money. Uh, so, yeah, I, I and, of course, I, I think I mentioned in the in the article that um, my wife and I just came back from Southeast Asia, and uh, we were in Saigon, or it's now called Ho Chi Minh City, uh, which, by the way, seems to be going pretty well. But I'm old enough to remember the end of that war and to, and to see uh, the signs of a situation is, that is deteriorating from the point of view of American presence to the point where in Afghanistan we are close to the point where the only way out is by helicopters from the roof. So, yes. Well, and you say in here, too, that um, the Russians are backing off their cooperation with the Americans, and but at the same time they're doubling down their support for, was it building up the Tajik army instead as their barrier? Yeah, that's right. I mean, this... As we all know, the Russians have a concern, too, about uh, Islamic, militant Islamic in, incursions into their backyard. And, uh, you know, for them, the primary threat is in the Caucasus, but it's also the case that, uh, you know, they're bound to worry about these uh, stands, which, you know, all are, are Muslim majority and, and so on. But and for a while, you know, they saw uh, what we were doing in Afghanistan as something that was worthy of their support. But I think, I honestly think, uh, they see that ship uh, sinking, and so their response to that is to build up. Uh, I hate to use the word wall because it has such an unfortunate connotation in American politics now, but building up the strength and their relationships with the stands, you know, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, et cetera, et cetera, around Afghanistan, rather than continuing to support uh, our effort uh, in Afghanistan. In other words, I think it's uh, ships leaving a sinking rat. <laughs> yeah. All right, so now, and I also want to get back to, you mentioned, and I would have asked you, but you mentioned the why of it, and I think the most important part of your answer really is that no one really knows, or and, and or no one really knows because it's a lot of little reasons, none of them good enough. Well, a lot of people make money out of this. You know, one of the things we have done is uh, loaned the Afghans money to buy arms from us, you know, helicopters and so on. And then, of course, uh, American contractors uh, supply them the know-how to to use these weapons. Uh, American companies sell them the weapons. American companies sell them the spare parts for the weapons. And, uh, you know, and then there are whatever... American economic aid is, is 
still going into Afghanistan. Uh, you know, that's all uh, American companies as well. So, which is to say that, you know, whether, you know, whatever one feels about uh, the economic role of the United States in the world, the fact of the matter is that we make a certain amount, I mean, America collectively makes a certain amount of money out of its involvement in Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, it's and that's one of the reasons why we're still there. Plus, of course, you know, there's there are going to be X number of generals who get their third and fourth star from this and and so on. Right. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, too, though, because if you listen to Zbigniew Brzezinski, it's all about containing the Slavic civilization and ruling the world island and all this. But when I talk with um, Daniel Davis, who was a lieutenant colonel over there uh, during the surge or I guess right after it, uh, talking with all the generals and all that, they never heard of any of that. They they don't know no. anything about all this global strategy and hemming in um, Russia or anything like that. They're more likely to give the same answer that you just gave. They want another star and another ribbon for their shirt and a little bit more money on their check when they retire. But I'm sorry, sure. we gotta, we got to take this break, Dan. But if you'll hang on through this break, we'll be right back, everybody, with Dan Simpson, former U.S. ambassador, and now at the Philadelphia. No, sorry, no, no, sorry, sorry, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. I know that's different. Pittsburgh think, Post think, Gazette. I'm a Texan. Think Steelers. Steelers, of course. All right, right back <laughs> after this, guys. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. Hey, all Scott here. The thing is, I need you guys to help me to get these download numbers up. So do me a favor and sign up for the podcast feeds of this show. You can choose the whole show or just the interviews at iTunes and Stitcher. All the buttons you need are at the top of the right margin at scotthorton.org. The more subscribers I have, the more iTunes and Stitcher will help promote the show to new listeners. If you're a hardcore fan, brand new or from way back, please leave them customer ratings and reviews, too. I'm trying to get these wars ended. All right, y'all, welcome back. I spent that whole break worrying about how many Pennsylvanians I made mad at me for that. <laughs> I'm on the line with Dan Simpson. He's at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Boy, all these names start with P's. What's a Texas supposed to do with that? Not much. I'm familiar with Carlisle, but that's it. All oh, right. you knew Carlisle? Yeah, the Army War College is there. Yeah, I used to have family that lived there back when. Oh, yeah. Nice town. Nice town, yeah. All right, so... um. Uh, Vietnam Redux is the article here at uh, postgazette.com, Dan Simpson, about Afghanistan. And um, so I guess I wanted uh, to ask you about what Trump said last night. They they found a quote of him saying that, uh, nah, well, basically what you're saying, eh, we never should have gone, we never should have stayed, we should just get out of there and forget about it. And he said, oh, no, I never said that. And they said, well, here's the proof. And he said, well, I, I was confused and thought we were talking about Iraq. Afghanistan, we definitely have to stay forever because Pakistan is next door and they have nukes. And so something, something, bad guys could get nukes if we leave. What do you think of that? I think it's nonsense. 
Uh, I, I mean, if, if the only way to watch Pakistan is through Afghanistan, uh, we're really in trouble. You know, as far as one can tell, uh, we are all over Pakistan anyway. And, uh, you know, with satellite coverage and other overhead coverage and drones and, you know, who knows what else. Uh, so the idea that we, we stay, we keep troops in Afghanistan to watch Pakistan. I mean, I, I just think that shows, uh, marvelous, uh, ignorance of the situation in South Asia. Now, um, you know, Trump in general and that de- that so-called debate last night, I mean, that, that was really uh, distressing. I mean, they didn't do substance. Uh, when you get <laughs> yelling at each other about the relative length of their penises, uh, you know, you know, you're really in trouble. You know, that America is really in trouble. Yeah. Well, the most substantive thing said about foreign policy was Kasich agreeing with Hillary Clinton that we have to invade and occupy North Africa forever. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice thought, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, because that Libya thing. Uh, He's the adult. He's the very reasonable adult in the room who says, you know, everybody, that... we should stop yelling at each other and just occupy Libya. And if he is the ad- adult, then it's even perhaps it's even scarier. I lived in Libya for almost uh, two years. Oh yeah, and yeah, I. And, <laughs> you were the ambassador to Libya or State Department? No, no, I was teaching English on the staff of the Libyan Army Military College, and uh, Gaddafi was one of my students. Now this was way back before the dawn of time. Gaddafi you know, was and, one of your students. This is how yeah. far back before the dawn of time? In the 1960s. But <laughs> anyway. Uh, you know, everyone would agree that Gaddafi was, was a monster. He was one of those cases where, you know, absolute, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, he was certainly in that category. But what our geniuses in Washington didn't do was try to figure out, have some understanding of what would come next. You know, if they got rid of Gaddafi, then what? But they didn't think that far. I don't know whether they could have and didn't or whether they just flat don't think that far ahead. But what happened, of course, is the place has turned into chaos. Uh, part of the coast is now controlled by uh, the Islamic State. Uh, there are at least two governments in uh, in Libya and many other patches of territory that are controlled by tribal militias. and. And on top of that, uh, Libya can serve as the springboard for all the migrants in sub-Saharan Africa who want to uh, go into uh, Europe, and and that's out of control too. So you know they just they didn't they didn't think it through. I mean that's not to say that uh, there was anything good to say about Muammar Gaddafi. There wasn't, you know, by that time, but. Anyway. Well, and no, I mean, it's important. I follow all the neocons on Twitter, and they're universal in agreement that 
the the pure state of nature is American aggressive invasion, <laughs> occupation, and regime change everywhere. And to oppose that yeah. is to support dictators. So Ronald Reagan giving <laughs> chemical weapons to Saddam, that's not supporting dictators. Supporting dictators oh, is no. opposing a neocon effort to overthrow him. And so yeah. when Trump says, we shouldn't have overthrown Gaddafi, we shouldn't have overthrown Saddam, he never said... We should have given them billions of dollars in chemical weapons like Reagan did. He just said we should not have overthrown them. And Max Boot and every other neocon clone says, you know, oh, no, it's terrible. They want us to support dictators, even though, of course, they support CC in Egypt and they support the dictatorship over the Palestinians in the West Bank, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, it, uh, what, I, what I find truly depressing as someone who's followed foreign affairs pretty much throughout my professional career is that they don't think ahead. You know, they don't think if we do this, then what? And so, which is another way of saying that we don't have uh, a coherent, uh, far-sighted uh, foreign policy. Well, you know, here's the problem the way, that I have with that. We didn't, I hear we that a lot, Dan. Under, from... We didn't have one under Hillary either. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I hear that a lot, and from State Department guys, uh, Peter Van Buren's former State Department guy, I talk with mm -hmm. a lot, and and it's totally believable to me in a lot of ways, except for the fact that we have these discussions on this show all the time. Yeah, but then mm -hmm. what? And you know, it's even in the New York Times. There's the Great Washington Times series a year ago, but there's the new two-parter in the in the New York Times about the Libya war, where yeah. they even quote the generals warned Obama that. That this so-called rebellion has at least has Al Qaeda guys in it, meaning veterans of Al Qaeda in Iraq, the guys who had just right. finished killing Americans in Iraq War II. These are the guys fighting Gaddafi. It wasn't just Gaddafi's claims; it was the Pentagon and the CIA told the President of the United States that, and he went ahead and took their side anyway. So it's hard to imagine anyway. that he said, "Well, gee, I'm just not going to think about what might happen if I do this," when he knows he's taken the side of. Osama's guys. So help me with my cognitive dissonance, please, Ambassador. No, I, I agree with you that it's puzzling. But the people he listened to on that one were Hillary, Samantha Power, uh, Susan Rice, who's now, you know, <laughs> thanks a lot, National Security Advisor, and Gail Smith, who's now the head of the Agency for International Development. Those are the ones he listened to, and they said, you know, you, you can't, you, this is a good chance to get rid of Muammar Gaddafi, so get rid of Muammar Gaddafi. And whether they didn't know enough to realize what would happen next or whether they got it wrong, I mean, one doesn't know. But, uh, you know, he listened to one group rather than another group. And that's his affair if he is, is the president, but then there's no, Walking away from the from the results, you know, of of a, a what was in fact a, a major mistake. Mm -hmm. All right, well, in my view, that's my view of it. I'm sure with you. Now, uh, we don't even really have time, but you mentioned it, and it goes unreported and unmentioned so much. I'd like to give you a minute, if you could, to sum up mm -hmm. your point about Yemen that you brought up earlier. Well, Yemen, uh, because we dearly love the Saudis and we don't care what they do as long as they keep buying weapons, uh, you know, we have signed on to the Sunni side in what is essentially a Sunni-Shiite uh, battle in the Middle East. 
you know, and I have not seen anyone say it, but I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't American pilots or American co-pilots with Saudi pilots in the Saudi American-supplied aircraft that are bombing Yemen back uh, prior to the Stone Age. Uh, and I don't understand. I mean, I, I know why, but I certainly do not see in terms of U.S. interests why we are in the middle of a Sunni-Shiite war over Yemen. I don't, I don't get it. Well, isn't it I mean, just I don't kind of a payoff? To, it's a payoff to them for securing their interests through the Iran deal, right? The well, deal. there's that, but also it's because they buy all this, uh, all these weapons from us. You know, we yeah. we sell them enormous amounts of uh, of weapons, uh, and of course, if you sell weapons to somebody, then you have to give them the technical support. Uh, to support the weapons, you have to teach them how to use them. You have to then you get the resale of uh, ammunition and spare parts, and you know it's a very uh, profitable thing. And again, you know, you know that there are lots of different ways of looking at problems, but one of the ways always to look at them is who makes money out of this. You know, follow the money, and you'll understand it. That's frequently true. All right, now, I mean, there's a million things to say about American intervention in Yemen leading up to the Arab Spring. But what if, hypothetically, yeah. America had just butted out at that point instead of Hillary easing uh, Salah out in favor of Hadi, which is what led to this war? What if, because yeah. cause they sure had a hell of a riot going on, a pretty much permanent tire square type of thing going on in mm. Sana demanding regime change. Was that going to last? Or what do you think? <laughs> You know, uh, th there's a fundamental, there used to be a fundamental uh, American belief in what was called self-determination, which is to say the right of people to determine their own destiny, their own form of government, etc. And somewhere along the line, we got the idea that, oh, no, 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 they, they can't be left to do that by themselves. Uh, we get to have a say in whom they have uh, as government. And then also it's especially nice if they buy weapons from us. Now, you know, that, that's, to my mind, that's the core of the problem. Yeah. All right, well, so then can anything be done about it? Because it's pretty clear when you see the reports, and, and sometimes the journalists will even be aghast. Oh, my God, the defense industry spent as much as a couple of $10 million on lobbying this year when we all know that they cashed in in the tens and tens and hundreds of billions of dollars. And so how do little guys break that? How can we? Well, last time I checked, we still have the right to vote. That's it, huh? And, uh, <laughs> well, uh, in my own in my own case, uh, I still write a daily editorial and a weekly column for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette or we whatever got a that's new regular worth. reader here. I got you. That. <laughs> thank you, thank yeah. you. So you know, for whatever that's worth, and you know, the uh, all one can do is when one has the opportunity to press one's point of view uh, or one's analysis to do it. And I don't know what else to do. I mean, I'm I'm attracted by the French Revolution and guillotines and things like that but it tends to be a that tends to be a rather destructive 
uh, approach to change. As long as you can guarantee that I'm the one who inherits the throne, then it'll be all right, probably. <laughs> well, I want to make up the list. You know, I think the French had a list of 293 people whose heads they were going to chop off. As long as I get to work on the list, why? <laughs> I'll be Make happy. sure no, you're I'm, not on it, at least. Yeah, that's right. a bad joke. That's a very bad joke, and my wife will be awfully, will inevitably get even with me for having said that, but whatever. Yeah, no, nah, it wasn't uh, that bad. All right, listen, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for your time, Dan. I really okay, appreciate it. Okay, Scott, nice to talk with you, and, you know, I'm I'm glad that you saw my column. And, yeah, and it's, it was, do... we ran it as the spotlight yesterday on antiwar.com. Oh, did you? Yeah. Good. Okay. Good times. All right. Have a good one. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right, y'all. That is Dan Simpson. He is a former ambassador, and he's the associate editor of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette at postgazette.com. This one is called Vietnam Redux, all about Afghanistan. A really good one on Afghanistan. Show it to your dad or whatever. We'll be right back. Hey, y'all. Scott here. The Ciceronian Society is an interdisciplinary group devoted to the timeless themes of place, tradition, and things divine. You are invited to their sixth annual conference to hear two days of papers on important thinkers, from Plato and St. Benedict to John Locke, Hayek, and Henry David Thoreau. The conference is March 10th through 12th in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, less than two hours from D.C. and Baltimore. Register at CiceronianSociety.com. Hey, Al Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. This nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone. We are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. So, yeah, you know, I could have fought with him about a couple of things. We did not need to attack Afghanistan. The Taliban were willing to give up Osama. At least half of them were. They totally could have got Osama by negotiating. They wanted to invade. They wanted to stay. So I could have followed him about that, but it wasn't really his point. It was just the basis of like, okay, all that being said, we should get the hell out now. We never should have stayed at all, even for more than a month or so. So what was the point of arguing the point? Especially when he wasn't done with that first answer for a few minutes there. So, eh. And there's a couple other things. But anyway, I like the dude, man. He's pretty good, huh? Uh, I think he's going on my list. Dan Simpson at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. He is against everything, and he knew what he was talking about. Did you hear him say, Gaddafi, were you guys, uh, was that during the break? We said Gaddafi was uh, taking his English class back in the 1960s. He lived in Libya. Seems like that guy had more to say. I'm going to have him back on the show sometime. All right, going on the list. Man, the list. Boy, and I'm sorry... Philadelphia and Pittsburgh people for getting your city's names wrong. I'm sure you hate each other or whatever. <laughs> Since that's kind of how people are. Yeah. All right. Um. <laughs> Another general inherits the U.S.-led war in Afghanistan. General John Nicholson Jr. took over the command of the U.S.-led occupation. That, of course, ended in December of 2014. Remember that? Nah. Also from Military.com, a 1,000 soldiers from Fort Hood. 
are deploying to Afghanistan. Let's hope they're enough to provide force protection for their own selves. Let's hope, in fact, that their plane has trouble and has to turn around and land safely and they just can't get there at all. How about that? Anyway. Yeah, old President Trump said last night, Oh, Afghanistan? Have to stay forever. Because Pakistan has nukes. Brand new excuse. I never really heard it put that way before. I don't even think by Max Boot. Max. More blood and guts required. Boot. You know that's a real thing, right? Head neocon at the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, Max Boot, he wrote this thing. Here's what you do, man. You go... Justin Death Wall Street Journal Boot. Right? And then you find this article by uh, Justin Ramondo at antiwar.com from November 19th, 2001. It's called Death and the Wall Street Journal. Wall Street Journal editor Max Boot bemoans lack of American casualties in Afghanistan. No, really. So, um, yeah, where the hell is the goddamn quote? Here it is right here. This, uh, the Afghan war in November of 2001, this is not a war being won with American blood and guts. It is being won with the blood and guts of the Northern Alliance helped by copious quantities of American ordnance and a handful of American advisors. After September 11th, President Bush promised that this would not be another bloodless push-button war, but that is precisely what it has been. You know, just in case you didn't know that Max Boot ever wrote that. Now you know that he wrote it. Okay, good. All right, so check this out, man. Um, if you have kids, maybe depending on how old they are, they might not want to hear this. So I don't know, a little bit of warning for you. So this lady, who's crazy out of her mind in some way, I assume. I don't know. Maybe she's really not. I don't know. But this uh, this woman murdered a four-year-old girl, cut her head off, and then went running around outside in Moscow holding it up in the air crying jihad and la 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 and whatever crap uh which for some reason didn't get that much play maybe because people just don't like saying that man or thinking about it Can you imagine god right don't want to imagine anyway point is she made a video when she says the point of the killing she was a nanny anyway she says the point of the killing was revenge when she asks who it was revenge against, she says the one who has spilled the blood. Asked who that was, she replies, who spilled it? Putin has been dropping bombs. And so they say, well, you know, she's got schizophrenia. And so whatever, you know, she might say lots of things. However, uh... It would coincide with the warning by America's Secretary of Defense, USA, USA, red, white, and blue, and all that. 
Ash Carter warned that Russians would be the subject of terrorist attacks for their aggression in Syria against the Islamic State and against the al-Nusra Front and their terrorist allies. On uh, It's from U.S. News and World Report from last October, October the 8th, 2015. Um, he offered a cryptic warning to Russia. In the coming days, the Russians will begin to suffer casualties. Which is funny, because they're flying planes. And they've got artillery to protect their air base. And so, he was just wrong about that. Except, here's the thing. Russia should be, quote, rightly fearful of attacks of retribution, both on the ground in Syria and at home, in the form of terrorist attacks. For its recently ramped up campaign in Syria... U.S. Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter said. And, uh, yeah, so there you go. Um, that was the cause of the bombing of the plane that flew out of the Sinai Peninsula, the Russian plane that killed 200-and-something Russians. What was it? 230-something people were killed. I think it was. Uh, blowback. That's what happens, Russians, when you mess with jihad. Jihad messes with you, says the Secretary of Defense. So this attack in uh, Moscow, the murder of this little girl, it's claimed by the perpetrator to be what the Americans would call a lone wolf terrorist attack by an ISIS sympathizer, just like the San Bernardino shooting. Right? But why they do the San Bernardino shooting? Because they hate you because you're free. Because you let your daughter wear a miniskirt to vote in a primary election on her, before she heads off to junior college. Oh, they just hate junior college. They're willing to blow themselves up because you let your daughter go to junior college. But the reason they attack Russians is because the Russians kill them. But, yeah, your freedom just drives them crazy, though. Not that the U.S. government ever killed anybody. Sorry for making that point every day for a decade straight, but I just, I still ain't one yet. Huh. I guess that does kind of make sense, huh? That if blowback could possibly be a thing for them, that it could possibly be a thing for us. Now, wait a minute. Was 1991 before 2001? I'm trying to think. I'm concerned that it might have been. You know, the invasion and occupation of Saudi Arabia forever. Remember that? Yeah. 1967. When was that? Was that 1967? So that was before 2001, huh? Hmm. I'm going to have to meditate and figure out about timelines and scales and read some Einstein and get back to you. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site, and there are classes, shows, books, and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday. And The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there. 
scotthorton.liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. Oh, uh, so um, chat room friend Bolda says even Ron agreed with hitting Afghanistan at first. Well, my friend, that's only kind of not really true, dude. I mean, he did agree to it. But here's what happened. Ron had actually read Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11. Congress shall have the power to declare war or grant letters of mark and reprisal. And I forgot how the rest of it goes. But so a letter of mark and reprisal, that's a thing. Here's what it is. It's basically a a dead or alive warrant issued by the legislature, a grant of authority to the president to attack groups, foreign groups, that are nonetheless less than states, like, say, for example, pirates. Bring me Blackbeard. Mr. President, your Navy is authorized to spend money out of the Treasury to go and get this guy. I have no idea when Blackbeard lived. I should learn about that stuff. That'd be interesting. Anyway, um... It's for pirates, basically. Groups less than states that still need a declaration of something. And so what Ron Paul proposed, and once upon a time this speech was on the internet, should have saved it. Uh, it may still be there somewhere. Uh, but I believe that there was a speech that he gave explaining the letter of Mark and saying the, the government should be authorized only to go after the guys that did it and we shouldn't declare war against Afghanistan because it was this small group of Arabs hanging out with Osama that did it, not the Taliban. And some of the Taliban had tried to warn us, and some of the Taliban were saying, we want to negotiate to give this guy up. And I don't know how much Ron knew about that, and that may have, you know, may have been a couple of few weeks before all that came out, that they were trying to negotiate to give him up. And this was, you know, pretty quick. But then, of course, you know, he was Ron. And Dick Cheney and George Bush were calling the shots on this whole thing. And so, you know, his letter of Mark wasn't even laughed out of court. I mean, they just dismissed it and that was it. Nobody even ever heard of it except, you know, the very few of us at the time. And then they had their AUMF. And he did vote for the AUMF. But what the AUMF did not say was overthrow the Taliban regime in Kabul. Didn't say that. It said, go after the ones what did it. Much looser language along the same lines as a letter of Mark. And I think it was the wrong decision. I think he should have stood with Barbara Lee against it. I think he still could have been reelected. And even if he had to lose his house seat, it would have been worth it. To stick by his principle and say, no, letter of Mark or nothing. Because 
this AUMF is going too far. It's got so much wiggle room in it. And this was his warning in his letter of Mark, you know, proposal that we don't want to pass a Gulf of Tonkin resolution. And, of course, that's what the AUMF ended up being, unfortunately. But he never did support the invasion of Afghanistan, the overthrow of the government in Afghanistan. And he started writing anti-war stuff immediately about the whole damn thing. So it's kind of a... He did vote for the thing. I mean, I'm not apologized for that. He shouldn't have done it. In fact, the first time I ever interviewed him in 2004, that was my first question was, is that your big regret that you voted for that thing? Well, it might have been my second question. But I did I did put that to him. The first time I ever interviewed him in 04, you can go and listen to it in the archives there. But, uh, yeah, that's a problematic problem, though. Too bad, uh, too bad his uh, level of fame that came in 2007 and 8 wasn't available then. He could have really made a, a pretty independent stand, gotten a lot of press for it. Could have been, could have been different. But anyway, he really has been batting a thousand since then. As best I could say about it. It's pretty bad though, you know. And, you know, when I asked him about it, I think he justified it by saying what it said was go after the guys what did it. Did not say, you know, from now on, go and do what you want. And after all, when it came to attacking Iraq, they got a new authorization. They didn't pretend that Saddam did it, you know. They got a new authorization for that, which, of course, he voted against and gave a lot of great speeches against it and all that. All right. Anyway, um, so, yeah, I want to talk about Sanders. Um, you know, he's got this lady, did I already say this on the show? I'm sorry, I forget sometimes what I say on the show and what I just think in my brain. But, uh, so Tulsi Gabbard, she's bad on Iran. She's a congresswoman from Hawaii who was the vice chair of the Democratic National Committee under Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And she resigned her position as vice chair of the Democratic National Committee so, so that she could endorse Sanders and immediately start attacking Hillary Clinton on foreign policy. And I didn't see it because I just can't stand to even look or listen to Maddow for a moment. I just don't have the stomach for it. But I read a thing where Gabbard went on the Maddow show, and Maddow wanted to talk about, oh, isn't it going to be bad for your political career to oppose Her Highness on this? And Gabbard said, yeah, let's talk about how horrible Hillary is on war, and just talked about how horrible Hillary is on war. And so my thing is, is um, I think, and I'm not a commie or leftist or anything like that. I'm a libertarian. I'm not for Sanders or anything like that. But I am more anti-Hillary than I am him. Anti-him. And I am anti-him, but I'm more anti-Hillary. And uh, anyway, what he could do is, which would be very smart, is announce right now, this is not an original idea, though I forget who I'm plagiarizing it from. He should announce right now, that Gabbard is his running mate. Oh, I know who it was. It was Robert Kohler at Common Dreams, He, I think, uh, who said he should announce right now Gabbard will be my vice presidential candidate when I get this nomination. And uh, and she's going to be, you know, my expert foreign policy advisor. Go out there and tell him about foreign policy. And then uh, Tulsi Gabbard. That's her name. Tulsi Gabbard. Did I say it wrong? I might have screwed it up. Anyway. Get out there, Tulsi, and tell them about foreign policy, and then just let her destroy Hillary. 
because like I was trying to get the message across to Rand and his people this whole time. The simple truth about everyone else is enough to blow them out of the water. They're never confronted with all their horrible contradictions. In fact, I wrote up some talking points that that Tom Woods published, and Rand Paul did crib one of them. And, you know, I pat myself on the back a little bit for that, because he did repeat and say, we're fighting on Iran's side in Iraq, but we're fighting for the jihadists against Iran in Syria. Now, what sense is that? That was my line. All right, man. But there was just t- one tiny little bit, too little, too late, instead of, like, really confronting him over it. How in the hell do you justify this, 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 and that? He could just tie them all up in knots by describing their various positions on whatever. Go after Lindsey Graham. Go after Jeb Bush. Hey, Donald Trump, be quiet. I'm destroying Jeb Bush. You wait your turn. Should have been the way, you know? Could have been. Just tell the truth. Tulsi Gabbard, get out there and just nuke Hillary Clinton with the simple narrative of, here's what it was like when Hillary was the Secretary of State. And here's how many people died and, and are still dying. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. And they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. All right, you guys. So this is just kind of a funny side note. I don't know. I'm a boy, and so I like jets. They're neat. And I always thought, wouldn't it be nice to have my own F-16 or whatever it is? Of course, they only let you fly one if you're willing to slaughter people you've never met before with them. So it kind of puts me out of the running. Unless maybe one day I win the lottery and spend it all on my very own kind of maybe late mothballed model and get it up and going. Probably wouldn't be worth all that and I'd probably crash it because what the hell do I know about flying a jet, right? Nothing. So, uh, oh well. But I do like fighter jets, and all day long, whether Fox or CNN or MSNBC, out of the corner of my eye, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I don't think I am. I, I flip around pretty equally between those three uh, on the TV out of the corner of my eye during the show, um, day by day, not all day, not during the show do I change it, but each day. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure on all three of those channels, they're all running the same Northrop Grumman commercial about this fancy new fighter jet flying through the sky. And, wow, it looks like it's probably fast and light and stealthy <laughs> and what have you. And so then why are they advertising that? What's the point of that? Other than they're buying influence on cable TV news. Can you think of another reason? Advertising to, I guess, rich people watching TV news to buy their stock. Northrop Grumman, buy stock in our company because we are going to be reaching into the treasury from now on. Believe it. I could see that. Otherwise, what's the point? Other than to, eh, another little, you know, notch in your brain, hopefully, that this all seems legitimate to you. 
I'm like, yeah, thank God Northrop Grumman is here to supply the weapons our government needs to keep us all safe. And wipe a tear from your cheek, you know. Start singing the Star Spangled Banner for Northrop Grumman. Except here's what's funny. Those jets don't exist. It's a cartoon. Northrop Grumman churns out a bunch of crap, just like Lockheed. It's all a bunch of crap, because it's all made to transfer money from you to the state to them. It's not made for fighting the Russians with or fighting anybody effectively with. You know, they had a big hearing uh, on the A-10 where, you know, we got ground guys in combat on the ground in Afghanistan in Syria, etc. And the A-10, they call it the flying tank, right? It's got the giant engines. It's got the pilot sitting in what they call the titanium bathtub. So he's extra armored on a very thickly armored, slow-flying, very heavily armed plane. Its machine gun can do the work. It doesn't even need missiles, and it has plenty of them, too. Uh... The A-10, very effective weapon, but it already exists, and it's cheap to maintain. They can fly forever, and, eh, you know, what we'd rather do is throw them in the trash and buy a bunch of worthless F-35s. And yet it came out, finally, at the hearing, and it's John McCain, of all people. Where would we be without John McCain on this issue, guys? Um, John McCain's upset because he knows for a fact that, hey, come on, man. As long as we're, you know, got ground missions out there and they need air support, we need A-10s out there. You know, the Cobras are worthless. Those things get shot down, man. But an A-10 is tough. And those are what we need. And the Air Force admitted that they are no longer pretending that the F-35 will ever be tasked with providing close air support. And they said, well... I'll tell you what, uh, Mr. Senator McCain, we're going to go with the F-16s and 15s, and we think that we can do the close air support with those. And John McCain just got pissed off and said, if you could do the close air support with the F-16s and 15s, then you'd be doing them already. That's why we're using the A-10s now, because those aren't suited to close air support either. You see, the question is whether... The airstrikes called in, kill the guys that call them in, or only the guys they're fighting. It's kind of important. Not that I'm justifying the presence of any U.S. forces in any of these places in the first place, but I'm just saying in the scheme of things, this is the point that they're arguing, the senator and the general. You know what? It turns out we're not even pretending the F-35 could ever be used for close ground air support. So they want to get rid of the A-10 just so they would have an excuse to get the F-35, even though they knew all along it could never be used for that purpose. It flies too fast and too high to fly missions like that. Don't be stupid. But anyway, these are the guys that run the Empire, run it into the ground. And that F-35, you know what, I think... If you read anything about the F-35 that anyone has ever written about the F-35, you will be doing the Bull Shannon facepalm. Not even the Jean-Luc Picard. It'll be the Bull Shannon from Night Court. Don't! Just unbelievable. You've got to be kidding me. They blow up on the tarmac. The engines 
blow up, sitting on the ground, warming up. <laughs> it ain't fast, it ain't stealthy, can't fly, can't carry any bombs, or more than two little ones. Couldn't possibly win a dogfight with any comparable jet anywhere in the world. Any previous generation jet on the other side. Can't fly it in the rain. Can't fly it near lightning. Costs a zillion dollars per hour to fly. The helmet doesn't work. Uh, it's supposed to be so sophisticated you can look down and see through the floor and everything because the cameras and the real-time sensors and the Wi-Fi and whatever, but it doesn't work. That is all just a bunch of crap on paper. And the computer, the whole computer system of the whole plane, which is supposed to be the selling point of the whole plane, is an entire catastrophe. They can't even log into it. Sometimes it logs them out in the middle of a flight, and they can't log back in. <laughs> the whole thing is a total catastrophe. If you eject, the helmet will break your neck. It's a total turkey in every way, the F-35. It's amazing, actually, that... Well, I mean, you know, it's shocking but not surprising. You know what I'm trying to say. But if you really look at it, you go, wow, this thing is really a piece of crap. They put it up against a 1970s two-seater F-16. Guys, I didn't even know they had two-seater F-16s. They put it up against an old 70s model two-seater F-16, weighed down with extra fuel tanks, and put it up in a dogfight, and the F-16 completely kicked its sorry ass in every way. And then they announced, well, but it's not made to dogfight. Don't worry, it will never come up against any opposition. That's part of the design. <laughs> what? Oh, you mean you can't use it in any circumstances where you have any adversaries? Thank you very much for that explanation. Here's another trillion dollars. You know, guys, I can't see why we can't or shouldn't go on like this indefinitely. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a hell of a thing, man. Um, all right, I'm, I'm looking at the chat room. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, you need to start skateboarding again, man. You're getting old quick. All right, so I'm going to do Libya stories in the next segment. I got a bunch of them. I want you to hear this, this, and that about Libya. There were two important articles about Nigeria I didn't get to this week that I'll try to keep and save until next week. But, uh, yeah, here in a sec, the drum will play, right? There it goes. Ah, beasties. Okay. So we'll be back in uh, uh, three or four minutes and do Libya and then the weekend. You hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. All right, y'all, welcome back. Haha. <laughs> Trump reverses his stance on torture, reads the Wall Street Journal. Oh, yeah, torture their daughters to death. I mean, nah, forget it. <laughs> the next day. 
oh, yeah, no, the law, the Constitution and the Geneva Conventions and the Anti-Torture Convention and the laws that enforce all that and the standing orders since 1775 in the U.S. Army. Oh, okay. I'm sure he didn't cite it all. I can't get past the damn paywall today. Usually I can. Uh, let me see here. Well, I don't have time to get... Let's try to get the full version of it. Yeah, that's the thing about Trump, man. He doesn't believe in anything except himself. So you flip-flop all around and... Doesn't seem to hurt him. No, no. Anyway, whatever. So, Libya, man. Troops trickle in as West prepares for Libya war. Italy insists war is on hold until the unity government is formed. But that's bull because they're already there and killing people. This is Jason Ditz at news.antiwar.com. News at dot antiwar.com. Not at. That would be an email address. Troops trickle in as West prepares for Libya war. And then uh, he's linking here to this one in the Agents France Press. Libya intervention jigsaw near completion, but final piece is still missing. And they're just, yeah, special forces. Okay. Um, now, Justin Scott wanted antiwar.com today on uh, Hillary and the Libya war. It's basically his... Uh, you know, short version of the New York Times story. I do hope you'll read the New York Times story. It ran last weekend. Um, uh, uh, they got a refresh, or I can't tell you what they're called. Um, a New Libya. Oh, that's part two. It's part one and part two. Yeah, my Mozilla is just bogging down like crazy, man. I don't know why. It's really bad. Um, really wish it would stop. <laughs> anyway, Scott Shane and I forgot who his co-author is in the New York Times, um, all about how Libya's uh, Hillary's war in every way. A new Libya with very little time left is. Um, Part two and part one is Hillary Clinton's smart power and a dictator's fall. And, and there's a lot of important stuff in there. Um, but I guess eh, I like the phrase bank shot. I got to remember to use that in my book later to quote Hillary wanted to do a bank shot and take all the jihadists and ship them off with their guns to Libya. I wanted Cutter to stop back in the worst fact. God dang, Bobby. Stop uh, backing the worst factions in Libya and instead back them in Syria. But then Obama refused to okay it. And so unfortunately, Qatar kept backing the worst guys in Libya anyway. Which is, of course, nonsense because the last thing Obama did was refuse to authorize. And I don't have the exact timeline on all the different authorizations for weapons to Syria I know the issue has been parsed, but we know for a fact Phil Giraldi told us still in 2011 that Obama has signed a new finding authorizing 
war in uh, Syria and, or, you know, uh, new covert action in Syria and in Iran. That was in December of 2011. And we already knew they were intervening and sending guns before that because it was in the damn Guardian. And Eric Margulies told us, too. Eric Margulies went and met with his friends in French intelligence in the French army, and they gave him the lowdown. Yeah, we're killing Syrians. So it was on. NATO GCC invasion of Syria was on in 2011. The same time as the war in Libya. And arms were already going. The the, the most recent New York Times uh, story about this admits that. Well, yeah, the arms were coming from Saudi, but that's just plausible deniability. Just like I've been telling you for five years, right? Right. And anyway... It's funny how, um, as uh, Justin says in his piece, this story just dropped like a stone. Nobody wants to attack him for it. Uh, when this could be the biggest issue in the world, what they've done to Libya, the long-term consequences. And now, I'm not going to read all these quotes to you or anything, but it is really important, I think. Whatever. It doesn't matter if I think it's important. You might take interest, folk in the sidebar in their own words the Libya tragedy and what it is is it's a bunch of navel gazing hippie nonsense about yeah we really meant well we thought it'd be great and then yeah it's too bad it didn't work out and you know when we were trying to decide whether to do it we thought that you know it would probably be a good idea and and the thing is the point of it is without having to read all the quotes you can go read them yourself but the point is how completely self-centered everything that they say is. Yeah, this is what I thought, and this is what I believed, and this is why I thought it would be just a great idea. And let's It's an experiment that we tried to see if it would work. And, of course, yeah, we really wanted to believe that it would be great. And this is how you start a war. With this level of, yeah, we'll see, there was a bandwagon made up of, you know, the people I know from work, and so I got on board it. And then tens and tens of thousands of people died, and millions have been displaced. And, you know, I'm still talking with my psychiatrist about exactly how I feel about that. Um, but mostly, I'm, I'm okay with it now. <laughs> Because, hey, that's the job, working for the U.S. government, right? You kill people here, you kill, you kill people there, you hope it works out, it's, it's, it's meant to work out. <laughs> Seriously, read this stuff, it's crazy, dude. Oh wow, and here they got a quote from Abdel Hakim Belhaj, former associate of Osama bin Laden, former kidnappee of the CIA and, and MI6. Receiver of torture at their hands, as well as Qaddafi's, who they renditioned him to in the Bush years. There's a proverb. Someone falls from the back of the camel. Was it your fault, or did the camel buck you off? I say, whatever. Now I'm on the ground. We must not regret adopting a democratic path, because it's what the people wanted. It's what we should have. Yeah, as long as it's dominated by the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group and Ansar al-Sharia and al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb and the Islamic State. I guess they get to fight over which will be the dominant faction out of those, huh? 
And you know what? Maybe Bill Hodge is a nice guy now. I He wears a suit. He gave John McCain a medal. And yet, um, well, see, I'm confused about this. In fact, I might owe you guys an apology about this. Fox News is the source for him being the declared leader of the Islamic State in Libya right now. I mean, if you Google Abdel Hakim Belhaj in Google Images, you'll get him and John McCain. If you uh, Google him without Google Images, what you'll find is he's a former friend of Osama who fought against America and admits it, fought against America in Afghanistan and in Iraq which I guess 99% chance means he was buddies with Zarqawi and Al-Qaeda in Iraq, the organization, during those years of Iraq War II. And um, and so here he is, Hillary and Obama's guy in, uh, in uh, Libya. According to the New York Times, quoting American intelligence, he's allied with the Islamic State there now. But he still answers the phone for the New York Times and says, yeah, we're building a democracy. I'm sure that, you know, what they should do is they should just hook the special forces up with him and then uh, do whatever he says. And it'll probably be fine. Zarqawi's old buddy, Bill Hodge. And that's what they did four years ago. Five years ago. God dang calendar. Can you believe it? How fast it goes? They're reinvading right now. Are they going to side with uh, Haftar, the CIA stooge who was living in Virginia for 30 years? Or are they going to side with Bill Hodge and the suicide bombers again? What do you think? Huh, which ambassador is going to get murdered this time? Place your bets.